Happy Fourth of July weekend. We are so glad that you're joining us this weekend. We hope that you had a chance to spend some time with a small amount of family, perhaps a very socially distanced yesterday, and you got a chance to just relax a bit on July 4th. I have to give credit where credit's due. My wife, Mandy, did an awesome job last week preaching for us. I know it was just so fun. I have to tell you, just filled me with joy to watch her preach and to experience the word that she had for all of us. I know that I will always remember what she talked about, uh, the, the vine and the wine and all the stuff that she was mentioning last week. So I'm super appreciative uh, for her word and the way that she delivered it last week. And this last week, I am just basically been a proud preacher spouse, which has been really fun for me. I know it might be a little bit of a harsh adjustment going from Mandy now back to me. It's a little alarming uh, for those of you who are watching at home. It's like sometimes I'll pick up her phone and it'll say face not recognized. And I imagine the face recognition software going, like, oh, whoa, whoa, what is that? So that's what's happening uh, to you all right now uh, as I am now back. So sorry about that. We're going to continue our series called The Struggle is Real thinking about the fact that in 2020, this is a real struggle. There's a lot going on. Everyone has been affected, some of us more than others, but all of us are experiencing pain and difficulty. Things are different. Things are changed. And there's been stuff, if we're honest, that's been revealed in all of us that we don't necessarily like all that much. Part of the thing about life in this new world is we can keep ourselves so busy, we can distract ourselves from ourselves. And as we have been forced, most of us, to slow down in pretty significant ways, there's been stuff that has come up, I would argue, in all of us, that we would say, hey, I don't really necessarily like that all that much. And you have two options. You could just wait until you get really busy again and then just force it back down below the surface. Or you could ask some hard questions of yourself. And you could say, how could I be better in the future? How could I use this time where it has been a struggle, where it has been hard, when things have been revealed that are difficult? How could I challenge myself and think about my core motivations? What is truly driving me? I love this simple verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing this letter to a church in Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, if you're Greek and you're up on that language. And he says, I remember we collectively, our, our ministry group, we remember these things about you. And he goes on to name these things that are really important. For a moment, I'd like you to reflect on somebody that you haven't seen for a while. Perhaps coronavirus has limited you from seeing that person. Somebody that you haven't seen in over a year. A good friend. Somebody that moved away. Let that person come to mind in your head for a minute. And then think of the character trait that you really value about that person. Is she really generous? Does he have extra ways of showing that he cares about you? Who is somebody that comes to mind and what is the character trait that you miss about them? Share that with anybody who's in the room with you right now and please share it on the chat as well. You don't have to mention the person's name, but if you feel comfortable 
you could. For me, my sister comes to mind. She lives in Switzerland with her family. And in July, we generally get to see them. They usually come and visit the U.S. at some point in July, but they didn't last July. We haven't seen them since the previous Christmas. So it's been quite a while since I've seen her and her family. We were going to get together this July, but obviously that isn't going to work out. As I think about her, something that I miss about her is her hospitality. She's someone who is always willing to go the extra mile to make you feel comfortable and at home. Her cooking is great, but it's not just her cooking. It's just how she makes you feel in a room. What is something about somebody you miss? Paul writes to this church, and he says, Here are these things. As I remember you and who you are in the faith, I can't help but think about these things. The things that I now remember you for, your your labor prompted by love, your work, which is connected to your faith, your endurance inspired by hope. That triad, faith, hope, and love, is, is common in Paul's writings. But what's interesting about this passage specifically is that Paul writes those things, but then he connects them with other things. And I think as we think about what it looks like to live faithfully as people of God in 2020, if we could connect ourselves a little bit more to these motivations and character traits, I think we could get more in line with who God has called us to be. So the first one is your work, which is motivated by faith. And that word for work there literally just means your nine to five. What is it that you do and participate in? It's kind of your daily rhythm and routine. And Paul says that daily stuff, the stuff that you do every single moment, the the very common things, the thing that you wake up and do, it is motivated by faith. And really a better word for faith in the New Testament is simply trust. It's motivated every single day, your routines, your rituals, your everyday stuff. It's motivated by trust in God. It's not just a cognitive thing. It's relational and emotional. It's all of who you are. Could that be said about you, that as you go about your day-to-day, you have trust in God working in the back of your mind, that that is your foundation, that is what you live from? In Genesis chapter 1, there's this idea that is repeated as the days of creation happen. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And we look at that and we think that is exactly the opposite of how we see things. And there was evening and there was morning. We think the start of the day is when I wake up, possibly to my alarm. I didn't get enough sleep last night. I'm drinking my coffee so I can make it through the day. I'm hustling and going through everything that I have to accomplish, all the things that I have to do and take care of, the things that I'm responsible for, and it's stressful and it's hard, and I tire myself out, and then I go to bed again. And I rest, and then the day starts. But it's interesting that in Genesis chapter 1, this language is repeated. It was evening, and it was morning. It's a different way of looking at life, isn't it? That as you lay down to rest, that's the beginning of your day. What a challenging concept for people who are identified by our work, that as you lay down to rest, God is at work. And that's when your day starts. 
It's as if God begins that work as we fall asleep. God gives us the energy then for the next day. As we sleep, we truly let go of control for several hours. We aren't monitoring ourselves unless you happen to be in a hospital. We aren't monitoring our heartbeat. We're not making sure that we're breathing. But God keeps the world going. In the Jewish mindset, the day starts with rest. And the week starts on the first day with the Sabbath. What a different way of looking at life. That your day and your week begins with rest. Eugene Peterson describes this this way. He says, It's like God was teaching justification by grace from the very first page of the Bible. When you wake up, you join in a work that God is already doing. And yes, that means you work hard. That means you offer your talents and your gifts. And then at the end of the day, you rest and you trust not in your own work, but in the work of God. Paul continues and says, your labor prompted by love. The word labor there is probably better translated as toil. The description that I found of it said, of or pertaining to weariness and fatigue. What is it about your life that just sucks the life out of you? Maybe it's a part of your job. Maybe it's a relationship. What is it that is truly toil for you that's difficult, that's hard, that you don't necessarily look forward to, the thing that doesn't necessarily get you out of bed in the morning, just running, excited about everything. Perhaps it's someone that you work with. Perhaps it's someone that you work for. Perhaps it's the kind of job you do. Perhaps it's a roommate or a kid that you're raising that's incredibly difficult. In all of our lives, there's stuff that is toilsome, that's hard for us to do. There's parts of our jobs, there's parts of our lives that if we're honest, we would rather just not pay attention to. We'd rather just push it off to the side and not do the hard work that is in front of us. It's a grind. But Paul says about this church, and may it be said about us, that when we experience that toil, we don't shy away from it. Instead, we choose to do the hard work, sometimes the incredibly difficult work from love. Love is a concept that I think is very much misunderstood in our world today. We think of love as the kiss at the end of a movie. When people are walking off the screen, they've had some issues throughout the movie, but they figure it out and they walk off with this blissful relationship in the end. And we look at that and say, that is what love is. It's this good feeling. But anyone who's been in any sort of relationship knows that that is not what love is. Love is choosing to show up for people even when there aren't butterflies flying around. Love is choosing to serve sacrificially. We say sometimes things like, I love tacos. When in reality, what we mean is, I prefer tacos. I enjoy tacos. And that is very true of me. I absolutely enjoy a taco. But I'm not willing to give my life for a taco. The taco already gave its life for me, so I don't have to. Love, as defined by Jesus, is willingness to lay down your life for other people. 
So when there is toil in your life, you are going to be tempted to choose anxiety. You're going to be tempted to choose to respond out of fear. You're going to be tempted to just write somebody off. But if instead you could model yourself after this church that Paul writes so glowingly about, could you choose to say, all right, this is hard. This is difficult. And some days I just want to give up. Some days I don't know if I'm even doing the right thing, but I'm going to continue to show up. I'm going to continue this toil, not because it's giving me a good feeling, but because I'm called to lay down my life over and over again. How often do we live from a different place instead of choosing to live sacrificially? I think we can easily be people who just move from toilsome thing to toilsome thing to toilsome thing. And when those things get hard, we just say, I'm out. And then we move on and we find that the next thing is toilsome. And then we're tempted to move on again. Could you stay where you are called to be and react in love, self-sacrificially? Paul continues, your endurance inspired by hope. You don't just endure this toilsome stuff because you have to and you have a bitter attitude about it because that can be true of us that we just keep showing up and we want to tell everybody about how we keep showing up and we want to continue to tell everyone how hard we've worked and all the stuff that is going on in us. But instead, Paul says, when you endure, it's because of hope because you are envisioning this better future. Hope as defined by the Bible isn't wishful thinking. It's not optimism. It's confidence in who God is, ultimately who Jesus is. And it's confidence that God is who he says he is and that God will be who God says God will be. And the word for endurance there, it's actually an, an ancient word that refers to a dog with a bone. So it's this gritty, determination. Have you ever seen a dog just chewing a bone? Sometimes it can go on for hours as the dog just gets every little last morsel out of that thing. Our dog growing up, we had a golden retriever named Cassidy. May she be in heaven for me waiting when I get there. And Cassidy loved pig's ears. And at the beginning, it took her a little bit of time to eat through one of those pig's ears. But as she got a little bit bigger, she would literally devour the thing in minutes. And it was some of the grossest sounding things I've ever heard. I don't even want to make the noises for you because you'd just stop watching. But it was unbelievable to see her as she would just devour that thing. May we have that type of perseverance. And may it not be just because we have to and we're begrudging about it and we're a little bit upset, but may we do that hard work of endurance out of hope because we believe that God has called us to a better future, not just way off in the distance in heaven, but that God has called us to a better future now. This passage reveals how we have a long way to go when it comes to this model that is offered us by the church in Thessalonica. As we think about what is truly our motivation, we're challenged to consider and challenged to think about how we could do greater things in the world. 
There's a spiritual father named Erasmus who defines layers of sin. And there's these four layers. The first layer he calls gross sins. And that's not gross as in ew. That's gross as in very obvious and sometimes considered very big sins. For example, if you are violent towards someone or they are violent towards you and then you respond in violence. It's obvious. There's no debate. And then secondly, there's what he calls conscious sins. So these are choosing things that we would say, we know it's not in the heart of God for us, but we make the decision to do anyway. The third layer is described by him as unconscious sins, things that we don't even necessarily recognize. I think a great example in our world today is racial injustice in our world and some of the systemic racism that we're all confronted with right now. It isn't that we were maybe actively like racist and doing things perhaps that put people of color down, but we can sometimes just participate in systems that continue to do that instead of reaching out to help those who are in need. The fourth layer that Erasmus defines is trust structures. And he defines it like this. He said, those things that we think we need to live happy and in peace, but don't go by the name of Jesus. I think in 2020, for all of us, we've been challenged to think about what our true trust structures are. Maybe it was a 401k that isn't making as much as it used to. Maybe it's a job right now that was lost. Or it was busyness. Just keep going and going and going and not really thinking about the things that you need to think about. Perhaps right now you've realized that you have a bit of a struggle with eating. You need to be careful about that. What is it perhaps during this time that has been revealed in you that you would say, yeah, I actually was putting my trust there. I was not really thinking about how I could let Jesus be the thing that I focus on the most. Henry Nouwen, in writing about trust structures, he says this, we need to be willing to be led where we would rather not go. He defines this from the life of Peter. Peter is constantly saying things very quickly. He's the one that's jumping out of the boat. He's very impulsive and doing all this stuff. Jesus continues to call him to be who God would call him to be. Maybe during this season, you need to remember the calling that God has put on your life. And you need to let go of some of those trust structures that you were holding on to pre-COVID and purify your heart a bit. Say, yeah, I don't want to go back in the future. I don't want to do that again. I think 2020 has been a time very much like going to the dentist. When you're sitting in the dentist chair and they're looking at the inside of your mouth and you don't have a whole lot else, and they say, well, have you been flossing? And your thought is, well, I've been doing the flossing dancing, but I haven't actually been flossing flossing. It's a time for us when we are seeing some stuff in our hearts that need to be worked on. Or we would say, yeah, you know, my trust structures need some work. And I'm going to choose to move forward with a different behavior. 
to say, yeah, I want to move on. I want to be better. I want to find ways to be motivated by the correct things. There's a commercial that I couldn't help but think of, a 90s commercial that is a favorite of mine that will go ahead and, and roll right now, then I'll talk about it. This here freight train, Pete Pablo, me, I'm Motif. There's only one drink fat enough to quench our thirst, and that's Turbo Sweet 7. God, genius, the can's upside down. Don't talk to me like a child. I played Hamlet at Cambridge. Once again, you've ruined my concentration. Excuse me, excuse me, what's, what's my motivation? When you're thirsty, trust your gut, not some actor. That's it, I am going to my trailer. I love that line at the end, and the whole idea of not paying attention to an actor trying to tell you something, but um, actually thinking about the product, I think is a, is a good idea. But that line at the end has always stuck with me. Excuse me, excuse me. What's my motivation? And I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. And it's one that we might struggle sometimes as we think about what the answer actually is. Excuse me, excuse me. What's your motivation? It'd be awesome this week if you spent some time thinking about this question. My work is actually motivated by blank. My toil or my labor is actually motivated by blank. My endurance, the reason why I keep going, it's actually motivated by blank. Could you fill in the blank of all three of those things? With faith, love, and hope? I know that I couldn't. Paul writes to this church, and he says, I remember you so fondly. I'm so thankful for this character trait that you all have. It's so meaningful to me that you live in this way. It's inspiring to me as I think about you, as you deal with hard things, as you deal with struggles, as you consider endurance in life and toil and work, that you do those things from the right motivations. You do those things instead of using them to try and make yourself feel a little bit better or using them for these different things or seeing other people in the wrong ways that you instead show the love of Christ to the world. It's been said that you can't properly love someone if you need something from them. And if you need something from somebody, and you think like, all right, if they can just get me this, then things are going to be better. You're not loving people as Christ would call you to. When Paul writes about what it looks like to be a Christ follower, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I thought at times that seems like a pretty high bar and perhaps a little bit arrogant. But as I've rethought that concept lately, I don't think I can be a pastor or a Christian unless I truly am saying, follow me as I try daily to follow Christ. 
for a lot of us, as we deal with the struggle and hardship of 2020, and I know people who are watching this, you are across the spectrum of, of difficulty with this. Some of you haven't been affected much at all. Some of you have been affected a great deal. For all of us, I think we have a little bit more time to ask the question, what is it that's truly motivating me? I hope that we use this time well. I hope that we walk out of this season whenever it ends with a greater understanding of ourselves and what it is that we're truly living for. Spiritual author Ruth Haley Barton says, the best gift you can give to your friends is your transforming self. May you explore your heart and you use this time and this struggle to recognize that, yeah, some stuff has been revealed in you that perhaps you didn't wish was there. But may you walk out of this season more connected to faith, hope, and love. Because these are truly the best motivations for all of us. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this very simple passage, which helps us to think about what our motivations should be. We all fall short as we think about what motivates us. May we use this time and this period of self-reflection to move forward for the better. May we truly say, follow me as I follow Christ not because we're perfect, but because that is constantly where we put our eyes on again and again. May we live from self-sacrificial love, which changes us and changes our world for the better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.